Are you prepared for God's future? Welcome to Apostle of the Future with Apostle Ashley Clater, where we discuss doctrinal myths versus truths, biblical facts, and much more. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to this week's broadcast of Apostle of the Future. Tell your friends, tell your family. We're going to talk about teaching teens about consequences. I'm in my new series, really inspired by my position as being the apostle over our youth and our children's ministry here at the Congregation of the Mighty. And a lot of lessons that I've learned and things that I have. First of all, I was raised up in children's church ministry and then uh, started working as a teenager in it as well before I moved to Tulsa 22, 23 years ago. I moved to Tulsa. And so teaching teens about consequences, tag people, tell people, hey, we're live. Where are you guys tuning in from this morning? Why don't you tell me where you're where you're tuning in from, from coast to coast? I don't know about where you are, but it was pouring down rain here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It looked like a river was running through our parking lot here at the embassy just 30, 20 minutes ago. And now it almost looks like nothing happened. And so don't you just love the interesting spring weather that we have going on? Uh, I want you to stay connected with Apostle of the Future. You can visit AshleyCMinistries.com, AshleyCMinistries.com. <coughs> I think I have something with my web address on here somewhere at some point. Uh, just to give you a little bit of advertisement here. Oh, here it is right here. You can register for my executive attendant training program, Level 1. It's a 12-hour online training program. It is actually at a tremendous discount right now. You can schedule your free consultation or you can actually just uh, email me or let me know and sign up. Good morning, Tulsa. Good morning, anywhere else that you're tuning from. Today, teaching teens about consequences. It's never too soon to teach a teenager about consequences. Now, when we're talking about consequences, what are we saying here? Uh, what, what's, what's a consequence and, and um, how do you really teach a teenager about that? Because, you know, today's society is really wanting us to believe that they don't care, they're not capable. But as far as the etymological definition here, a consequence is a logical inference, a conclusion. It's a result of something. And so uh, what we often teach consequences is just being negative. Well, you know, there's a consequence for this, but there's a consequence for everything. Consequence. The following sequence, what follows after this? To follow, see, is a part of that. So when we're talking about consequences, it's about what follows. What's A, then what's B, C, D, E, F, so on and so forth. The greatest challenge with teenagers is not that they're not intelligent. It's not that they're not interested. It's that they're not experienced. So in teaching teens about consequences, we use the scriptural references and scripture studies to really connect how one decision leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. Very interesting and challenging thing for young people because quite honestly, they haven't lived life. So the first thing in teaching consequences that we've experienced and that you want to do is not talk to them as though they know better. Now, many Young people are raised in very good homes. And so they have been taught things. They've been told things, but they have not experienced them. And quite honestly, I think most of us can say when we look back at our lives in hindsight, that what really impacted us 
was the experience that we then connected to what we were told. So telling our teenagers, I told you not to do that after they've suffered a negative consequence or a painful consequence, they'll say, I know, but now there's a point of reference in which they can revert back to or return to, to connect with what they experienced with what you said. So telling your teenagers over and over and over again, I keep telling you this, I keep telling you this, and they keep doing something else. Maybe there's a breakdown in their understanding. Maybe there's a breakdown in their comprehension. Maybe they are just being flat out rebellious because they want to do what they want to do. But very few people, very few adults do what they want to do just because they want to do it. And the same thing can be said about teenagers. There are very few things that young people do just because they want to do it. There's a reason. Somebody at school, a relative, maybe as a parent, you don't realize or a guardian that you've been talking about your past and they want to experience it too. Even though you're telling them don't do it, they might because of what's in their soul. For example, I will use an example of Demi Lovato. Demi Lovato is a secular singer. I don't listen to her music. I don't recommend. I'm not suggesting that anybody follow her like that. But her father was a uh, was addicted to drugs. Now, if you know anything about Demi's story, she too has had major struggles with drug addiction, alcohol addiction, nearly died a few years ago, came to the brink of death, turning blue in her bed. If her assistant had not come in the room to wake her up for something, she would certainly be dead. Uh, through that overdose, she suffered, I believe it was multiple strokes and heart attacks. Uh, as a result, she's not able to drive. I don't know about now, but at that time, because of peripheral vision loss, she wasn't able to drive. And even after that, she was California sober, which is you still dabble in the light things and has since seen the error of her ways from what I understand and is now completely sober. And she's gone back and forth with this addiction since she was a teenager. Well, her father was addicted to drugs. And she said when she was younger, she was always interested in knowing what it was about these drugs that caused him to be so loyal that he wrecked his life. Now, this is a very interesting rationale. But again, this is from at that time, a teenager. Well, time goes on and you find out through her, I think, most recent uh, biography film thing um, that when she was 15 or 16, I believe it was, because in, in this instance, her drug dealer raped her and left her for dead because she was overdosing and he left her there in her bed to die. In her past, at like 15 or 16 years old, she was raped. And she was raped while in the process of making, I think it was a Disney film by one of the co-stars or maybe one of the older men. She obviously didn't get into who it was. And so when you think about it, all of this started, so she was messing with drugs and alcohol to also cope with that. So it wasn't about being reckless. It wasn't just about trying something new. It wasn't about any of those things. It was as a teenager, she embraced drugs, easy to find. Drugs are easy to find, so easy. And now in, in Oklahoma, marijuana is on every corner. Anybody can, any adult can buy it, sell it to a kid, you know, pills, everything else that has always been easy, as well as the harder drugs, cocaine and everything like that. And so she was 
self-medicating, as we say, but she was really dealing and trying to escape from the realities of being raped on a set, knowing full well nobody was going to do anything about it. What did you say? What would you do? Who would believe you? And now with the Me Too movement and and the rise of uh, how many women are talking about how they've been raped, children, teenagers, how many of them were raped, boys and girls at that age by multiple people. And that's just the way it was. And in many cases, that's still just the way it is. Although I think now, hopefully, it's harder for somebody to get away with that because of how much this has been brought to light. But a lot of sexual uh, oppression and sexual crimes and violent crimes were committed against these kids. So you have them dealing and coping in that way. Let's just say turning to drugs, turning to pornography, turning to all these other things, being sold for sex while being out in public. People having no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Well, years later, the consequence of that is still being addicted to it. So teenagers do not have the experience under their belt. They have not been around long enough to understand the, the true concept of consequence. Think about us as adults. It wasn't until in a consequence impacted our life, especially a negative one, that we learned the lesson. Now, learning the lesson doesn't mean you don't do it again many times, depending on what it is, but sometimes it does. So in teaching teens about consequences, what we've done a lot scripturally is we've taken, for example, brothers and sisters, siblings in scripture, because at that age, that's the thing that they can identify with the most, most siblings in scripture. Now, the first siblings being, of course, Cain and Abel. So we've dealt with Cain and Abel. We've dealt with Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, David and his brothers, and the relationship and dynamic, Rachel and Leah as sisters, um, the dynamic of family, things that they've done to family that had consequences for the rest of their lives. Because a lot of times you really don't think and teenagers don't think that how they treat their siblings is going to have long-term consequences. It's the moment you're around, you're my sibling, you're getting on my nerves, da, 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 so on and so forth. I wish you were never born. Some people say that to their siblings. We talk about violence among siblings, sibling violence, verbal and physical, because a lot of young people are verbally abusive to their siblings. How many things have we said to siblings? If you have a sibling or are a sibling, you know, you have somebody else uh, and, and then what those scars do to you, what you say to young people in school, bullying and comments and jokes and jesting that really impact people for the rest of their lives. And so we spend an extensive amount of time teaching about that. So for example, Cain and Abel, uh, when, whenever we break down these two brothers, now sibling rivalry is a huge thing and it can have long-term uh, impacts, siblings. And if you have a sibling and if you're not an only child, then you understand that there are things that your siblings can do to you and your parents are not around that nobody knows about. They can abuse you. They can scare you, tease you, frighten you, pin you down, hit you, pinch you cuss you out. And then in front of parents, act like they're the perfect sibling and you're the problem. These are very real issues in households today. And so we deal with that. Um, I really don't treat our kids like I think they're above that. Some, first of all, quite frankly, some of them I know for a fact it's not true. And then others, 
speaking into it or how they treat kids at school. Um, if some of them have been bullied themselves, then they're leaning toward being a bully, which is leaning toward being abusive as a future spouse. So we address, for example, those that I know are aggressive toward their other siblings. We talk about, do you know how abuse in marriage starts? It can start in childhood. You don't just wake up one day and slap your spouse around. You've done that somewhere else before. You're, it's not even natural to hit somebody unless it's natural to hit somebody, to cuss somebody out. And so we talk about what kind of adult do you want to be? Let's look at adults who are alcoholic. And, and I'm telling you, we have walked um, this out in youth group. We have talked this out throughout the months uh, in this last year specifically about, okay, now let's look at adults who are alcoholics. When do you think they took their first drink? Many of them think they took their first drink. Many of them, first of all, they haven't even thought about it. Okay. And I hope this conversation is helping you today. Let me know uh, if this is helping you today, but they haven't even thought about it. So we talk about drinking. When do you think most people start drinking? Some people start drinking at nine. Alcohol is introduced to them by aunts and uncles and cousins and older siblings and just have a sip of this and have a sip of that. Others get addicted in high school. Some people, they mess around in high school, but it really settles in in college. And then by the time they're 20 years old, some of them full-fledged, full-blown alcoholics, 30, 40, 50 years old, still fighting addiction. So we address that it's easy to judge adults for being something we don't want to be. But when that usually often, I'll say often started, is in their adolescence, in their childhood. Um, you know, we talk about, okay, so let's talk about the, the young people who are very sexually promiscuous or married people who commit adultery, can't stay faithful to their spouse to save their life. When do you think that started? And so we backtrack and we trace and I have them think about decisions that they're making now and what that's going to look like 10 months from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, without divine intervention, without deliverance, without healing. We address a lot about healing and forgiveness at this age because I teach them you will always have an opportunity to reach for a bottle. That's not going to go away. You will always have an opportunity um, to purchase or find drugs, to have sex with somebody random or somebody you know very well. You're always going to have that. As an adult, those things don't go away. In fact, it gets harder to not do those things sometimes, depending on who your friends are, where your job is, the decisions that you make in life. I said, that how do you think that at you know, 25, 30 years old, somebody can't go, uh, can't end their day without drinking a whole bottle of wine? That starts somewhere in their younger years, usually as a result of trauma that they can't process. And so they choose to bury it somewhere else. I mean, so all of this is tied together. So when I'm talking about consequences, it's not just about you need to make good decisions for your life so you can blah, 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 blah. It's not that. It's really teaching them too how to cope, how to deal, 
how to process the importance of talking to adults that you trust about what's going on in your life that can completely change everything. Uh, last year, you know, I really harped on that with them. And, and, you know, sometimes they, again, they don't believe you because they don't realize what you're talking about and things play out certain ways and they blow up and, and they don't realize these are consequences to decisions. Your record can be damaged permanently at, because of what you do at 15 or 16 years old, 18 years old. Um, we talk about how many teenagers go to jail at 18 or 19 because of crimes that they commit taking other people's lives, murder at, at a teenage age, theft, um, stealing somebody's car and killing somebody inadvertently, not planning on doing that, robbing somebody and thinking you're just having a good time, hanging out, riding or driving drunk, taking somebody's life or destroying maybe your own life or wrecking the car. And on and on and on we go. So that we do that. So let's just go back to Cain and Abel in scripture. Cain and Abel, sibling rivalry, that is like for real sibling rivalry. You murdered your brother. And we address, are you thinking thoughts about your sibling to the point where you would hurt them to the point of taking their life? Do you meditate on just, oh, I just wish they would shut up. I wish they would leave. I wish they weren't born. Like, what are they really meditating on? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So that's with teenagers too. And whenever they're too quiet, I make them talk. Let's talk about this. How many of you have struggled with violent thoughts about your siblings? Hands might go up. They might not. Um, how many of you have really thought about you really wish your parents would just be off of the planet? Um, now, I haven't had hands go up about that. However, there have been some long pauses like, mm, I don't know. And we really walk through that you, if you think about something long enough, you're going to do it. Now, on the flip side of that, also, it's about we, we promote the consequences of studying. Well, getting good grades, scholarships, job opportunity. So it's not just the negative things. We do hone in on a lot of those challenging areas because our young people in general in the world are just being hunted like prey by this agenda to be as destructive as possible. And it's veiled in creativity. It's, it's veiled in liberty. It's veiled in expressing yourself. We talk about um, sex. And now, of course, I don't get graphic about any of these kind of things at all. It's not necessary. That's the parent's job. It's mom and dad's job to get into all of that in the house, not mine in church. But we talk about sex in general, the pressure of sex. Now, this thing is being ramrodded down their throats with this whole agenda in preschool, in kindergarten. So we have got to bring this up as to be responsible in general to teach them how to mentally defend themselves. Are you entertaining these things? Some of our kids are not virgins because some of them have been abused. Um, others have been molested. Others have had sex with other kids. And so we, uh, you know, we're not in heaven. We're not in heaven. Gone are the days where you can assume that the majority of teenagers in a youth group have not had drugs, not had sex, um, not had alcohol in their lives. And they're just living these amazing, wonderful Christian lives in these Christian homes. And they'll deal with that when they get into college. Those days are over. 
And now it has to be addressed in some form or fashion at 10, 11, 12 years old. For if for no other reason, then your kids are protected. So when they are confronted, not if, when they are confronted in school, if you're homeschooled, come on, your kids are going to go to the mall. I mean, somewhere they're going to be around somebody else. They can be cousins. It can be neighbors. Okay, please tell me your children don't live in a bubble. That is not help them either. But when they're exposed to these things, <clears throat> they need to know what's going on. I remember 20 years ago when I was at ORU and overhearing some of these teenage girls not knowing what certain things were sexually. And we're just walking and they were walking behind me and I was on my way to class. We're all going to class talking about they were in shock about something. And I'm thinking, how can you be 19, 20 years old and not know this? Totally, totally vulnerable to these boys in school because they don't know what these guys are talking about or other girls who are getting them into it. I mean, I know how I landed myself in certain locations at a Christian university because of the female friends that I had made. And I was like, where did you just bring me? Where are we? What parking lot did we just pull into? I'm thinking we're going to hang out, go to a movie, have pizza. We're just going to make a quick stop along the way. And it's a strip club. What? How did I end up here? Yeah. And that was me who was not walking around like, oh, I have no idea what's going on. But being friends with people that I thought were Christians that really were not to the extent or at all. And so you have got to be armed and equipped to teach your kids how to say no or how to defend themselves as to why they're not doing something. Not just, well, just say no. Listen, these kids are bullied. They're pushed up against a corner. You have apps. They're on message boards, all kinds of ways that they can be exposed and pressured that they didn't see before. So going back to Cain and Abel, um, Jacob and Esau, Jacob and Esau, again, sibling rivalry. One parent was the one, uh, one child was one parent's favorite. The other was the other. We see this all the time in homes where uh, there's always manages to be one child that is super favorite. Maybe sometimes other ones who kind of get lost. If you have a lot of kids, if you have a few children, it can happen to anybody. And what are what are they meditating on? So one of the things in teaching teens about consequences is having them talk sometimes more than I do. It is easy to get into lecture mode. And sometimes there is, there is a time to lecture. But it, I want to hear what you're saying. If you're raising up teenagers, it's important that they feel they can say anything to you that they're experiencing, even if they know there's going to be a consequence. I tell my teens, listen, you can come to me about anything. I am not promising you confidentiality or secrecy. First of all, most of you are minors. If you are into something, I am legally obligated to share that with your parents or with the law, depending on what's going on. If you're wrestling with suicide, we need to know. It's even if you're going to get in trouble for if you get if you're having sex and you you're like, OK, I'm messing up here. There's going to be a consequence. But the consequence of confession is not the same as the consequence of actually having something walk out. Yes, you might be grounded. OK, we might take your technology. Sure, you're not going to these extracurricular activities, but that is better than living the rest of your life with a sexually transmitted disease. Am I speaking to anybody out there right now understanding this wisdom? And so I don't make promises like, oh, you can tell me anything and I won't be upset. Uh, sure, I'm, I might be very well upset, but coming forward and working through it because that's being an adult. 
that's living life responsibly. Being uh, So coming forth and confessing something is still less of a consequence than having it play out. So we talk about, for example, I hope this is okay to address with you today. We talk about STDs and, and, and everything else, whatever, you know, sexually transmitted diseases and so on and so forth. And so I break down to them. Do you understand that society is telling you, you just need to have sex as early as possible? I mean, this is curriculum that's in books now. So this is no longer, you don't need to, you can't hang out with this certain guy or girl after school because they're a bad influence. This is in the school system. And so telling them, sure, you can start having sex at 13, 14, 15, your teens. You technically can, but do you want to? We talk about what God says about it, and then we talk about why God says it. So again, if you go back to last week, what we I taught them about, we teach in Price University and everywhere that God is a thinker. So if God says, for example, this is how we work it out. If, if the Lord says that sex is for marriage, that the only sex that is not cursed by God is sex that is under the covenant and within the covenant of marriage. Why does God say that? We don't just stop at what he says. We keep going to why, because they have to be able to think this through and not just have blind obedience. Um, you know, whenever you study cults, whether cult religions or cults and sports, or whatever, it's about don't ask questions, just do. Don't ask questions, just do. Well, this is how a lot of people got lost in the redemption. Don't ask questions, just do. So we say, ask questions. Good morning, good morning. Hey, good morning, jumping on Angela. All right, so we say, ask questions. So when I teach my teens that God says, going back to what we we're just talking about, that the only sex that is not cursed is sex that is covered by marriage, we then say, why did he say that? Not just sex outside of marriage, God doesn't like it. Why not? Why? One, other religions offer children up for sex. So you know that other devils have infiltrated the body of Christ because they're being pushed into having sex outside of marriage. The other deities do that. Why didn't God do that? Well, we talk about having, you know, getting pregnant, not being married. Um, we talk about sexually transmitted diseases. I said, for example, do you understand if you contract an STD at 16? Now, some of them you can knock out with antibiotics. <coughs> some of them you cannot. I said, so you get one that you, that is antibiotic resistant where there is no cure. You are stuck with this for the rest of your life. That means when you fall in love with whomever, you're going to have to tell them you have this disease and they're going to have to make a decision to marry you, love you and get that disease probably too, or you're going to have to part ways with that person. And so it's like, oh, I didn't think about that. Mm -hmm. So when the Lord is saying anything that's a restriction or a blessing, there's always a reason why he blesses marriage, uh, sex inside of marriage for these reasons, outside of it, it is cursed. Boom, period. Now you could say that, Hey, that's just religion. That's just God. Right. But these things are very real. And these consequences are very real. We also talk about the consequence of holding your virginity, protecting it. You don't really lose it. You can give it away. Somebody can take it. You don't leave your virginity on the side of the road. And so I tell them you don't lose. Like we say, I lost somebody, you know, lost their virginity. You don't lose virginity. Okay. You either give it away or somebody takes it from you. Either way, you don't just lose it because losing it sometimes implies you don't know what happened. 
So to if you're raped, molested, somebody took it. If you willingly had sex with somebody, you gave it. And we even talk about that and the consequences of those kinds of decisions and how they happen in life and how lifelong lasting some of those consequences can be. I said adults that struggle with whatever they're struggling with, many times it started in their youth. So the decisions that you make right now about how you handle your money, which is why we're teaching our kids about money. Um, for example, the consequences of shopping to reward yourself. As a teenager, some of our kids grew up with not a lot of money, uh, not necessarily impoverished, but not a lot. I said, so if getting a job and making money is about uh, pampering yourself alone, when you become an adult, you can be susceptible to having huge amounts of debt making reckless decisions, jeopardizing your future, because when you get money, it's about rewarding yourself versus planning, budgeting. This amount of my money is going to reward me. This amount is going to the Lord. This amount is going to be responsible. This amount, so on and so forth. So we talk all the way around about consequences and decisions. So if you are wise with your money, then that means that at this certain age, you might have this kind of savings or this kind of cushion. Or if you go through, let's just talk about 2020, 2021 COVID years kind of thing, where it is beyond your control, what's happening with your money, you have the wherewithal to regroup and rebuild because you will have to rebuild in life. I mean, everybody has to rebuild financially at some point. Even some of the wealthiest people on the planet have had to rebuild. And, and so we work through that and we talk through that. So it's not just about, you know, spiritual things, um, but very natural things, even though everything originates in the spirit. Do you have any questions, anything you want me to address about any particular consequence? Like how, how should I talk to my teens about this? How should I, you can put that in the comments right here and i will answer it online today um, about maybe questions you have how do i talk to my kids about this that or the other maybe you're at a loss maybe you don't know uh, maybe you caught your kid in something and they don't know that you know and how should i approach it how should i address it because how we handle things with our teenagers also determines what they do next you can come down very sternly with a young person without crushing them. Um, my, I think my mother mastered that wonderfully. She, whenever we got into something crazy or whatever, she let us know there's gonna be a consequence, but there was love in that somehow. Even if there was a whooping, there was still love. You knew that she wasn't unleashing her rage on us, but she was rolling out some rods. <laughs> okay, the rod was not spared. Uh, it was not used extravagantly either. There was balance in that. Let me see. Anybody have any questions, anything that you would like to know about how, what, how can I address this with a teenager that I know, with a young person that I know, or a youth group that I have or anything like that? You can post those questions. But in dealing with teaching teens about consequences, it's not about yelling. I have, now there's a time to get loud. Okay. Cause see, I'm the youth leader, not the parent. So you know, when this thing is hitting you at home, sure, there's a time to get loud. I mean, there's a time to get hot. That's very natural. But understanding that even after all of that, create an opportunity to teach and not just 
react. There, there are things that you're going to be straight reactionary and you should be. You did what? You got into what? How can you? Huh? And, and now we have to. But somewhere, even if you fly completely off the handle, coming back around to it, let's talk about this now that mom is calmed down, now that dad has you know, found himself again, had to go drive for 10 miles to relax. And then now we can deal with this and then deal with those consequences. Okay. You're going to have to deal. We're going to have to go to court. Now we're, we are going to have to go to rehab. You're going to have to do therapy and so on and so forth. And then able to hold them responsible without them feeling like they are the worst thing on the planet. Chances are they already feel that. Yeah. I just feel so terrible. You should. I mean, I've told some of my kids, you absolutely should, because this is a real problem now. However, let's talk about what we're going to do. Let's talk about how we're not going to be here again. What did you learn from this situation? I learned this. And what else did you learn? Let's talk it out. Make them talk it out and not just hide in emotions and hide in shame. Um, you know, we've had uh, in my previous years, um, not our teenagers, but even some of the single adults, some of the single women get pregnant. And we had one who she was in law school and, and she got herself pregnant. And Dr. Price, uh, said, I mean, she just was crying and I can't even believe it. And blah, blah, blah. And Dr. Price is like, well, I mean, this was only a matter of time with the way you're living your life, but you're going to finish school. You are going to achieve. Now you're just going to do it the hard way. <clears throat> and she did actually, and, and is quite successful even to this day. And so you can be very honest very upfront, but still understand consequences must be paid and you still have a calling on your life and you still have a future and you still have a destiny and the prophecies concerning your life did not go away because you made this decision. Now you're just going to have to get there a different road. It's like missing the ideal exit on a trip. And now you have to go 10 miles out of your way or five miles out of your way or to the next exit and turn around and double back and, and go through all this drama to get back on the right road. Sometimes, you know, young people take detours. They really do. And, uh, you know, we want to provide a place with in our youth group that, <coughs> excuse me, if or when they mess up, you're certainly going to deal with the consequences, but there's still a place for you here somehow. Depends on what the consequence is, honestly. It depends on if we're talking about you breaking uh, some serious laws, um, if you can't come back around again, if you can't come back around again, if you can't, then we have to work on this a different way to still preserve your soul. Make sure that you are getting right with the Lord, even if you can't be here or if you can be here, but you can't, you know, and so there's all different ways to deal with this. But that doesn't mean um, that the consequences still don't happen. I'm just checking over here, see if anything has popped up. All right. Mm -hmm. Charles said, good morning, Apostle. Very timely episode. Consequences is the most neglected, if not absolutely forgotten word, even among adults. I know that's the truth. That is the truth because in today's society, we really do teach expression without consequence. Just be you. You live your truth. You do you, boo. What's it real to you? I mean, we have every kind of month now. Everybody's a minority that needs a whole month. Okay, before it was just Black History Month. Now it's Black History Month. And we recognize all other, you know, the other minorities now rolling that out. And now what June? Uh, pride month. So now the whole month of June, we're inundated with gay pride and running down your throat. And hey, just do what you want to do. And 
there's no consequences. Hey, just just have fun and don't let don't let those legalistic people, don't let religious people put you down. Let me tell you something. We have got to combat that with our teenagers and understanding now that is the era in which they are being raised in. Not just a few friends. Like we, uh, you know, when I was coming up, you would have maybe one or two of those bad kids that parents didn't want their kids to be around because they were a bad influence. Well, see, now that's everything. That's music, it's dance, it's clothes, it's books, it's movies, uh, it's education now, it's curriculum. And so the indoctrinization of life without consequence, think without consequence, feel without consequence is exactly that, an indoctrinization. To, to have a doctrine, to be indoctrinated is not just about scripture in the Bible. And I think sometimes, and I'm going to look this term up real quick, indoctrinate, whoops, indoctrinate, we often think is just about scripture, but indoctrinate in general means to teach, to instruct, to imbue with an idea or opinion. So indoctrination is not uh, indoctrin indoctrination is instruction. Um, so to be indoctrinized is not about religion. We teach it because we'll say about our doctrine, but doctrine in general and to indoctrinate is not about religion alone. It is actually about teaching. So this, what is this generation being indoctrinated with? Is that libertinism. We've gone from liberty to libertinism, especially sexually. Let's look at the trends because again, our kids are being born into this. You have children who, when we were coming up, you had coloring books, you had pacifiers, you had rattles and toys. Now they have phones with apps. They are being indoctrinated as kids to push buttons, to have this, the eye gate on overstimulus. Um, and so there you have cartoons, cartoons, which cartoons have always been perverse. I mean, that's nothing new, uh, but now it's even geared toward even younger children about uh, just whatever, cursing, <coughs> profanity. I can't even explain to you watching some of these um, Instagram pop-ups and videos of kids cursing, parents thinking it's funny that the little three-year-old is dropping more F-bombs than Richard Pryor, okay, more than Chris Rock. And I'm thinking, you're three and your mouth is in the sewer because you clearly live with people with a sore mouth, not thinking about the consequences of this cute little girl cute little boy having a trash mouth before they go to kindergarten. Not funny. It's funny. Ha ha. It's not funny. It is not funny. And so kids now are being taught that all that kind of stuff is normal. It's just normal. And, and, uh, I was recently watching, I can't remember which thing I was watching, honestly, about where was I Who was talking about the, the, uh, the pressure and how the worst thing to be is now normal. And wanting people to feel like something is wrong with them because they're normal. And if you're not queer or just a little bit queer or exploring yourself sexually with girls and boys and two or three people at a time and dabble in this and dabble in that and -da -da -da, so on and so forth. And it's just crazy because, you know, when we were coming up, Ellen DeGeneres, who is now 
finally going off of the air and God help us with what's going to replace that, her show. Um, even though she is hilarious as a comedian, but just understanding what she opened up in society when she came out 20 something years ago versus where we are right now. And so she, at that time, of course, that was not the cool in thing to do, is being hailed a hero, her heroism. She and Portia for how long they've been together and so on and so forth and whatever. So we can see now that what started out as being contained over here has now spread all the way around. Teaching teens about consequences is essential because they have got to understand life God willing, you have one is a long journey and decisions that you make now will follow you the rest of your life. Good and bad. Deciding to do your homework and do it well. Good consequence. Deciding you don't care. Not so good consequence. Keeping yourself sexually. Great consequence. I, you know, we talk about how I said, but if you're if coming into your marriage pure, coming into your marriage clean, okay, let's say that you're not a virgin. Let's talk about what you're not going to do from this point forward. Because when you do find somebody that you want to marry or who wants to marry you, how many people do you want to have been with before you get to your spouse? We talk about that. I have friends, people that I knew who um, had, were very promiscuous in their youth and can't keep a marriage together now. Married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced. That promiscuity, that inability to stay in a relationship, that follows you. And so we talk about that. Where do you, you know, and as a teenager, when you say like, where do you want to be at 25? That's like, I don't know. That's so far from now because I'm only 12. I'm only 13. We won't even talk about 40, 50, or 60. It's like, huh? I can't even wrap my head around that. And so, you know, I usually land at where do you want to be at 30? Because at their age, 30 is old. Okay, where do you want to be at 30? What kind of parent do you want to be? Do you want to be the mom or dad who wails on your kids? Or do you want to be the one who can talk to them? So we think things through. We think about consequences. We think about long term. What's the long game on this? Thank you for listening to the Apostle of the Future podcast. If you like what you heard today, visit ashleycministries.com for more information. Follow me on Facebook at Apostle of the Future or YouTube at Dr. Ashley. See you next time. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen.